Hi everyone, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following podcast belong solely to the host and its contributors. They are not necessarily the views of our employers, organizations, committees, or other group or individual. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Joseph Whitney. This is Brewing with BIM. Where we talk about construction processes, technology, BIM, and beer. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Bring with BIM. I'm Joe Whitney, and with me as always is Dave Campbell. What's up, Dave? Hey, not much, Joe. Hey, uh, just another beautiful day with uh, all of our BIMers out there. Well, speaking of BIMers, we got uh, one of the best in uh, the Pittsburgh area, Carlos Caminos with us today. Carlos, say hello to the BIM community. Hello. Thanks, guys. Thank you for having me. Oh, no problem. No problem. Uh, yeah, thank you for joining um, so Carlos, you and I connected a while back on LinkedIn and uh, I've been loving what you've been sharing. Uh, I've seen your transition during COVID and you still, you know, you're out there, you're doing great stuff uh, and you've got a great philosophy about BIM and sharing data. And I just want to uh, get your message across on, on our podcast and ask you a few questions if that's cool with you. Absolutely. Sounds great. All right. Well, why don't we start by asking you a little bit about your background? How did you get into BIM? You know, what's your, your experience been like? Believe it or not, uh, Probably my largest growth, you know, in my professional career was probably like 25 years ago when I when I started this thing, right? I used to work for a research facility called uh, Bell Labs, Lucent Technologies. Yeah. Um, and so they were the largest research facility in the world at that time. Um, but right away, they taught me to think outside the box, right? Where everybody was telling you, you know, the line needs to go from left to right. They're like, well, you can make the line from right to left. You can make the line up, down, and rotate the paper, you can do, you know, as long as what, what's the result, right? So I had some great mentors, and believe it or not, I was already modeling them, you know, so in the semiconductor industry, in the medical industry, uh, in the New York City area, you know, Northeast, we were modeling. So uh, by the time I made it to Pittsburgh 15 years later, uh, I couldn't believe how behind we were here in the sense of technology, right? And what was out there and and uh, and where all this stuff was going to. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. I, I have kind of the same uh, background kind of thought there. I grew up in Northwest Indiana. And after I got back from my second deployment, I had gotten into architecture. You know, I started with CAD and then eventually worked my way up to Revit. And what I found was that in the Midwest, after I became a Revit draftsman, it was a little hard to find work because it was only certain architecture firms that were really adopting and implementing Revit. You had to go to like bigger cities like Chicago and Chicago would have more of that kind of BIM adoption. Right. And I as I as I came out to the West Coast, because that's where I'm located now, I, it was a total just flip, just change because the adoption of technology and how they use that data here is so much different than how they're using it in the Midwest. It was and, it was a, a mind like blowing, just wow. Yeah, and in the West Coast, it's it's a bit different. They're begging, for, or at least they were. Uh, I don't know mm -hmm. what the stakes situation is now, but like even up until like a year and a half ago, two years ago before I left, uh, they were begging for it, right? If you could spell them, you had a job. Like that's that's <laughs> that's how how crazy the adoption was here in Pittsburgh. I wanted to ask you though, so I work with a lot of BIM managers. And, and, you know, they're, they're pointed out that, yeah, most projects are slow to adopt BIM, 
uh, you know, the airport, a lot of key projects, they're, they're, they're quickly adopting BIM and it's like a standard. Have you seen something similar in the area? Do you still feel there's a slow adoption of BIM across all, or is it specifically isolated to different uh, projects or industries? No, I think, well, it's my opinion. You know, I think I think the architectural uh, industry here has been using Revit quite a bit. Um, I don't know necessarily how, how efficient they've been in the sense of uh, modeling or adding information to the model and pushing it through to different areas, right? But I know they've been working at it the, the longest and, and hence that's why Revit is so successful, I think here in PA West, you know. Now, other industries is a little bit different, right? It's, it's a little bit old school. I mean, it's Pittsburgh, Steeltown. Uh, the mentality is, is different. Uh, you know, there's always that belief is still strong here that, hey, if we did it yesterday and it was successful, of course, it's going to be successful today. Well, we're not telling you that it's not going to be successful. There might be better ways of doing it, you know, of, of gathering this information or, or, you know, adjusting to some of this stuff. So um, my experience has been and that that has been part of the reason why I've been so successful here. When I moved here, I, I came for a startup company. Uh, for a semiconductor equipment company, I used to design uh, systems, etching systems, uh, modeled the whole thing completely. We would spill out, you know, spit out a bill of materials, and 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 a lot of people weren't doing that then, you know. So, and that, yeah, it was the funniest thing ever. So then, uh, you know, things didn't work out. I move on, and and I like Pittsburgh. I'm like, wow, well, you know, let, let's see what what's here. What can I do here, you know, before I I move, right? Uh, and I find out that very not that many companies were modeling. Not even the word BIM was so was such a like uh, like a threat, you know. Like people, if you talked about BIM, they're like, oh my god, you know, like what is he talking about? We can't do that. What's BIM, right? And and, and we're talking about less than 15 years ago, 10 years ago, right? Uh, so I was fortunate. I went to a company that that. You know, I, I told them I have all this experience using Pro-E and and it was uh, an engineering consulting firm. And they're like, great, we want somebody like you. We want you to implement the software. Now, mind you, I just said Pro-Engineer. Well, they bought Autodesk and Banner. Here, here <laughs> you go. You know, I, I get a job. I go over there. All right, where's the software? Yeah, we bought this software because they told us it would be better. But I don't know this software, right? So that, that was sort of the beginning. Uh, of, of, of uh, you know, my story here, I was able to implement uh, a software from scratch. And, and, and by then I had enough knowledge to understand that, that the foundations is the most important thing, you know, depending on how you grow from there. Uh, and and it's, it's been a hell of a ride. It's been rather interesting, right? Um, so I did that there. I, and then that, that migrated to the AEC suites. Uh, for Autodesk where, you know, we grew really fast. We imp I implemented Revit, uh, Inventor, Plant 3D, PNID. We were pushing data pretty well. Not the best at it, but I, we understood enough and, and created some efficiencies. And and then, you know, I moved on and, until I got this opportunity at uh, Equitrans. And basically the company went from 2D to 3D to pushing data within five years. I mean, when I walked into that company, they were trying to model, but they didn't really have a workflow, uh, but everything was 2D and it, and it was hard because everybody wanted 2D because it was quicker. 
right? They, yep. So they thought. Yep. Yep. You know, that's the initial fight that we get a lot of times when when someone is transitioning from CAD over to let's say Revit or just a 3D kind of thought process modeling software like oh the time it's going to take me to learn this and to transition into this software i i can save this i can do this i know i have this you know i, I it takes me but, let's say two hours to detail this section that i can create it i don't know what it's going to take me with this program or, or they'll say well i'm more proficient in this software so the same amount of time that's going to take me to learn that I, I could go ahead and just do this but the issue with that is you're comparing one project to you know this person getting trained on this one project and having to compete against you on this project, but on the next project, this person's going to be more efficient and cut your time in half, and it's going to make you look like a fool. It's even bigger. It's even bigger than that, right? Would, yeah, yeah. Do it the right way, and you start adding a little bit of information, you know, because I believe in baby steps. It's that much more efficient, right? It's yes. that much more. My, my biggest sell to these companies is, listen, I'm not going to cut your budget down, you know, maybe a little bit less. We might start doing things a little bit better. But before you just delivered 2D drawings and you and you had four bill of materials and they they were all different. Right. I go now you're going to get maybe less amount of drawings, but look at all the reporting data you're going to have. And if it's a, if it's an equipment we can just copy that with all the information now and add it to the next project. You don't have a person that has to redo this stuff. Yeah. You know, so, so the, the, the philosophy, the mentality, you know, is, is what needed a lot of education still needs, you know, um, so people understand. Yeah. So you're, I you're going you. to, go ahead, sorry, Jeff. go ahead. Uh, so you're going to, um, not only give them a better handover, uh, you are going to make them, more efficient, yes, but their their risk is going to be reduced, the uh, re reduction in errors, like all this stuff gets added to it. And it was funny that you mentioned you moved here uh, and you started at a semiconductor and you were using Adventure and stuff. This started off with uh, just like another podcast we had with a gentleman named Eric DeLeon, who's a CAD manager, and he did the same thing. He moved to an area, he helped adopt technology, he was given Inventor. Um, but it was in, in a semiconductor too, but it was on the other side of the country. So that was, I don't know if you know Eric DeLeon, shout out to him. He has another podcast called CAD Manager Confection. He's a great guy. Uh, yeah. but, but that said, it's funny that uh, Pittsburgh has, you know, they've got that mentality, you know, if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. We're a steel town. It worked for us yesterday, all that sort of stuff. When uh, you just go three hours to the east and you've got uh, State College where we've got BIM standards and BIM execution plans pouring out of the college, Absolutely. I mean, there's there's some companies uh, in town here that that do it the right way and focus extremely a lot more on BIM um, and do work like with State College and things of that nature. But but that's you think about all the, the companies you have here and all the the, the business, right, the, the industry. And uh, I just think, hey, there's a huge opportunity for companies like that. And now and that and now that that the now groups laser scanning companies as well right because i think laser scanning they people didn't know what to do with that you know i remember going to spar probably five years ago and it's all exciting you know i was trying to gather information because i knew we needed to i knew what it could do but i, I didn't realize how much more there was you know and the different different types of industries that were looking at it and and this is what's missing right you need it you need somebody to captain this stuff 
right? So different industries are looking at it. The industry, the laser scanning industry themselves didn't know where to go with this or how to, to sell it to you, right? And so you, you have all this innovation opportunity and nobody really knowing how to guide people, you know, a, the user or the, the client, right? Yep. So I, I just thought, I'm like, this is key. This is uh, how many times do you see something like that, right? Uh, and, and that just fell into like some of the software stuff we do, you know, it's, it's just a good fit, you know, it just makes, uh, so much sense. You know, you can go laser scan a facility for say documentation. Uh, it, it might cost you $20,000 and this is what people look at. Wow. $20,000. And, and I remember sitting in a room, I'm like, okay, if we needed to document that, what would you do? Oh, we would send a team of designers and engineers and start measuring. You know, I'm like, okay, how long would it take you? Oh, probably at least three weeks, you know, and then we'll have to start sending different people. Okay, you get all this information back, then what do you do? Well, we have to start putting it, you know, either in AutoCAD or a 3D model or something, whatever, yeah. Okay, so it's it's perfect when it comes here. Oh, no, we'll probably have to go back out and remeasure, right? So when you start adding numbers to that, to, to that story, Right. Any any individual for a company costs seventy five dollars an hour at least. Right. Anywhere between fifty and one hundred and fifty dollars an hour. You know how twenty thousand dollars becomes a flash in the pan when you start figuring out how long and the effort that it takes. You know, and people think, no, this is how we do it. Well, I think this is a good opportunity to try something new. Right. Yeah, I completely agree. And I I think that. It goes back to that conversation we were having right before the podcast there, but how BIM is used in the sense of BIM BIM and BIM processes are tools, right? Yeah. And and what what we like the way I like to think of it, at least now, I've as I've you know continued my education into this BIM universe here, the BIM verse, um, is that BIM processes, these BIM tools, can be adopted one at a time. And a lot of times it's not really, hey, you need to take on this whole new workflow. You need to do this. It's really getting everybody to look at what are you doing currently? Okay, we're not going to we're, we're not going to change that completely, right? You're already doing this. You're already sending people out. You're doing this. You're, you know, we have to go measure this. And a lot of times, I mean, when I, I came up in the architecture industry, if I had a, a or a existing building, it's a rehab project, I'd have to go out and measure it, right? And of course, that's just one time. I have made four or five trips out there to verify different measurements and dimensions for things that I maybe didn't pull right at the time. I didn't get one, and it's actually very important to this project. And as you're saying there, dude, like just – how we can use this information and how we can utilize these tools and 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 to get – everyone to look at it in the sense of I'm already doing this, but there's got to be a more efficient way to do this. And and I don't have to adopt everything in, in the BIM universe there. Maybe this one tool, maybe it's, you know, in this sense, laser scanning, or it's the, the clash detection, it's that coordination, you know, whatever portion of BIM that you're going to focus on, right, that's going to benefit you to, to really better what your company does, what you deliver, and, and, and of course, like how it transitions downstream, we were talking about translation, right? How that data goes downstream and how it helps everyone, not even just now, but, but later. So, so that laser scanning point real quick, uh, you mentioned having to go back out on stuff. That has been a big pain point in COVID, uh, oh, not yeah. being able to go back to the job site to get measurements. 
uh, or it was just a huge risk and they were like, well, what do we do here? Um, so we've had a lot of conversations, uh, about laser scanning just on this podcast too, like about like the uptick in laser scanning just during COVID. It's been crazy. So, so for a while there, you know, the industry I was working with, um, safety is a big issue, right? So laser scanning fulfills this, this big, uh, dark hole that exists there, uh, you know, people getting hurt and and things of that nature and, and putting people at harm, you know, just everybody does not belong on site you know and then uh, how many times do you forget to look at something or you you just miss something or or uh, you need to confirm something right so early on when cause we started we started doing for documentation you know my experience with with laser scanning i i hooked up with a company that that provided photospheres right for us that was easy as a picture so there was nothing magical. I could download all the pictures in there. Here, these are all the scans. Here's all the pictures to the facilities. So in the winter, no engineer or personnel, people that didn't have to be there, didn't have to go. Here's the pictures. Take a look at them. What did you miss? Yeah, I don't remember this that well. Here you go. I would go and load up all the the, the pictures, you know, because uh, like we talked earlier on, laser scans are a bit, uh, they're they're large, right? So this was just a great solution. And later on, we, we evolved to another company that provided, you know, a site with all the laser scans that provided renderings. You know, here you go. You have access to it. Go go look at what you missed, you know, or what you have a question about or, you know, you know so from a safety perspective, another large game, you know, with it, without even touching the workflow of, of what you're doing with the data and how to process the data. You know, and, and how to incorporate that. So, so what you just said there with uh, your previous uh, venture, safety was a big issue. Earlier, you mentioned that you had started with um, uh, semiconductors, and then obviously you've got into BIM and AEC. So you've spanned many industries. Um, has safety always been a bigger, you know, the bigger issue? And to that, also, how does the information being handed over? How does that have to how does that play into it, the way the information is shared and all that stuff? Does that play into the safety? Two-part question, man. Yeah, sure. So, so I'm I'm always going to fall back to uh, my experience at Bell Labs, and I was green, you know, and I didn't really, you know, you just don't know what you don't know. I was young, you know, and I worked with all these PhDs, geniuses, you know, first project to sell out of Bell Labs, big big deal, and and believe it or not, back then, back then they were already developing a way to transfer data you know, not necessarily, you know, a drawing out of time and stuff. So I kind of understood through the people that I work with about how to link softwares together and see what they can automate, right? Uh, I didn't know it then what was going on, right? But as the years went on and with experience, I started to understand, you know, the, the importance of being able to set things up to be able to move it, you know? So uh, when, when I came here and, you, you know, uh, to the semiconductor company, uh, it was pretty straightforward, small company. You design on a model, enter all the information, enter all the purchase part information, spit out a bill of material. Uh, f- from day one, we relied on the model. So, so that, you know, the report, the data was real, you know. Um, when I moved over to to the... I guess petrochem, you know, oil, oil and gas industry, some of the energy industries. Um, 
here they were just starting to model right so there wasn't a good understanding of of uh data entry you know they didn't they didn't understand and a lot of people over the years have told me listen I, i'm here to design i'm not here to enter data and i'm like listen that's kind of your job you need to understand what you're building you need to add information to it because because then we don't we don't need to look it up anymore you just we're going to report it you know and and that was a, a whole different type of education right so so i went through years working at, at a, a engineering consulting company where where they were just concerned about the 2d drawing right and we were fortunate that we implemented models because it made us efficient in the sense that we could start copying models over right so it was a baby step right and and uh with some of that stuff uh that you know they started to understand yeah we should enter this valve information because we're we're never going to use anything different anything we design we're going to use this parts so i go great give me the information let's put it in there you know and that helped us become more efficient you know and that and that's just a little step right in the next company that was a given you know and then when we started offering services you know are you going to reuse these parts are you going to reuse this model because we can you know we can make these models intelligent for you you know and so some bought into it some didn't you know and and then eventually i moved to a company that that uh they were looking to to enter the 3d platform and then uh you know this is a great story you know they brought me in to implement a 3d platform and support it uh, a pretty big company here in pittsburgh and so i never said a word i never even said the word bim you know i came i implemented the 3d platform plan 3d i taught everybody how to model basics you know solid foundations um i i started saying well we can create this report great bill of material we got rid of three different you know believe it or not we had at one point the the designer would have a bill of material the engineer would have a bill of material procurement would have a bill of material and they were all different you know and i'm like how are we supposed to get a handle on this we we need part numbers you know where well we only really need 300 numbers well guess what we now have 3000 numbers you know so so then we started creating parts with with part numbers create an accurate bill of material if it's a new part get a new part number no, there's no secret right so so when we move to that that's how we introduce fusion how i introduced fusion life cycle and uh, i knew that one day we were going to once I had that software in there, I knew that one day we were going to manage our bill of materials there because that's just an out of the box function for a fusion lifecycle for a PLM. So by the time we started modeling, great, we started seeing success. We went, we went 100% on board all the all um, discipline except electrical, and that's a whole other issue we can touch on. Uh, went 3D, right? So a year later you know i'm asked to give this presentation and i show them this bim process and they're like what's that well this is what we do and let me walk you through the steps we enter about data here here's report number one and then and then i show them how we enter part numbers into our catalog that builds this model well here's our piping component bill of material you know and well what do we do with that well what do you want to do with that can you can we add instrument information of course we can 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 we you know little by little this is over a couple of years can we 
well, we have solids for concrete. Can we get can we get information on that? Of course we can. What do you want? Do you want below ground information, above ground information? Do you want just volumetric data? And they're like, wait, what? You could we could do that? You know, so it was an evolution, right? And uh, uh, very exciting times, right? So that that's just a quick story that one day I just I just brought out a piece of paper and I said in a presentation this is what we do mm-hmm. and they're like what do you mean this is what we do yeah let me explain it to you yeah dude I Joey and I we live for those aha moments it's very it feels really good when you can help share that information or bring that light to everyone and say no this is this is how we can do it this is what we're doing and and to be able to I guess show everyone else that and on and how this works and how it is able to, you know, just either make things easier or take less time so they can focus on other things that they have to do anyways. I mean, a lot of people will get passionate about it when you can show them that portion of it, right? Like this is how it affects you. When you can take that data and show them, a a lot of times in that sense, adoption of it is, I, I guess, easier, right? You don't get as much pushback when you can show this is how this is what it does and this is how it improves our process right and i and i was fortunate in many ways you know my my uh upper level management understood it um i think in general they they understood that they needed to become more efficient in many ways i think they were foreseeing these times that we're going through you know the change the industry lived a a great life for so many years you know uh i even when I came into it, I'm like, you know, this is a, this can't exist like this forever, you know. Well, uh, here in Appalachia, man, it's been doing pretty well for a while. Yeah, right. But but it was. I think it's different times, right? I'm not, and it's not going to go away. It's just different times. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I remember getting the buy off from upper management, right? So so once upper management understood what you're trying to do, I didn't go try and change the world. Let's try it on one project. Yep. You know, actually, and then, yeah. And then, that leads and, into a great question for you, Carlos. Then, like, um, with your experience of, of getting that adoption or getting to that point, getting the buy in from upper management, do you have any advice for any of our listeners out there who are kind of in that same position, right? They see the benefits of BIM, they see the, you know, the different software and interpretation. How can they sell its value? to you know the the members and let's say the upper management yeah i you know i gave a presentation uh at accelerate last year uh fusion lifecycle conference and uh you know my presentation really i use i use fusion lifecycle a little bit of its capability right but what fusion lifecycle did for us it connected design and engineering to procurement to reporting to other things erp you know a lot of different things right and and uh, and they were like, how did you do this? That was like the big thing. That was the the big question all the time. You know, like we need somebody like you. I'm like, listen, you you need to develop a relationship with your CAD team. You need to be on the same page with your bosses and your directors and what where they're trying to go to. Because if you're trying to change the world and they don't want to change the world, guess what? You're gonna lose, right? So when, when they're looking for efficiencies and you think you could do it and, and you buy off on a small group and like let's run a small project and get the okay, okay, you did. Look at that. Let's run it on a project now. Okay, a bigger project. Okay, let's convert the rest of the team to the same workflow. Perfect. Look at the numbers now. You know, 
believe it or not, I think after only two years, we were we were coming in on big projects. Uh, in some cases, as good as 20% under budget, and in other cases, 10%. Mm-hmm. Those are big numbers when when you start throwing out 30 million dollar projects, 70 million dollar projects, right? So, so if you can work yourself in all these little wins, you know, you you end up getting a lot of support. Uh, people will start listening to you, you know, but because believe me, the uh, the situation I was in is exciting in the sense that I had support from upper management, but there were plenty of people who didn't like all this change, you know, and 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 it was a big joke for the design team because I, I would give presentations and lunch and learns and updates, new workflows. This is how we're going to enter data now type of thing. And I would tell them, I promise I will not change anything for three months. You know, that, <laughs> and that was the, the big joke, right? Because because once they start understanding the efficiency that it creates, right, the the, the less amount of errors that are introduced, uh, it's not hard to sell. And then and then I used to ask them, okay, what do you want me to compare what I do w- with your last projects? Like what? Give me a budget number. What matrix? Let's develop a matrix. Somehow you have to start showing how or have to start comparing what you're doing to like some kind of old number. Yeah, you, you need a baseline. You need a baseline of something. And yeah. and it's not always clear, you know, how, how to show this information, but it's not difficult, right? Because at the end of the day, my biggest seller was, I'm like, give me a year, let me implement some changes here. You might not see the value in it yet, but I guarantee you what I do is going to be bare minimum the same amount of budget you you spend now yeah yeah so, i think that's huge and, and kind of key there sorry to interrupt you joe i just i was i was wanting to get into this like um i, I was thinking about it kind of as as we're also talking about implementing bim right how do we kind of show this value and you touched on a, a couple important points setting expectations knowing your expectations is huge what data you need what goals you need to hit so if we can set those expectations first and then having that good relationship with your cad team knowing your team in that sense also like that relationship in general of knowing who you have with what strengths right and again what when you have those expectations and you know kind of how we can align ourselves using the different technology to kind of accomplish those goals reach those expectations right and then if we can go above and beyond and, and show that we did that it's even better, right? That's, that's, that's just, you're getting like rewards at that point. Like, oh man, look at this. We, we also got, you know, these bill of materials using this process. We, we, you know, two birds with one stone kind of thing, but it, it improves. It helps everyone. I guess it improves everything and helps everyone. And as we're getting gotta, to it, sorry. You got to build your army, man. That's what it is. Yep. You need to get these people in your corner. Uh, and it, it's not by upsetting and upending the workflow. It's by promising them, uh, you know, better efficiencies. And it's not even about promising. It's about showing. If you can show somebody, you know, it's the put up or shut up, you know, the old adage, you know, um, my kids tell me they love me all the time. I'm like, show me you love me. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, I remember, you know, and it's, and, and, and when I mean you need to buy off of upper management, right? I mean, I got put, you know, I had support from, from my group because I, we, we changed things around, right? And it worked for us. So there was no problem, you know, my director putting me in front of the the stage for the rest of the company, right? 
and uh, I said, listen, this is what we do now. This is what we, what we, you know, what design and engineering can provide for you. Do you, is this valuable to you? And they're like, yeah, we've never had this before or no, we don't need it or yes, or, you know, and then it became an education thing, right? And we have this software and it can do this and it can do that and it can, and, and you know, and you get a lot of ne some negative feedback and sometimes like you're telling us I have to use it. You don't have to use anything. I'm telling you, we own the software. You have the opportunity to participate and use it and potentially create your own workflows. We have the opportunity that if there is a need for you with some of the information we provide, we should have a meeting. Maybe there's something we can pull. We can feed you some information. And so that that's how it started, right? And and uh, I, I can't tell you, like, Fusion Lifecycle is a great story for me because I presented to upper manage the capabilities of Fusion Lifecycle for three years. And that for three years, you know, it can do this, it can do that, it can do that. We use it for bill of materials and part numbers now, right? This is we're actively you're we're doing this. Yep, we do this now. You know, and how come the rest of the company? I'm like, that's why I'm here. You know, maybe there's a use, you know, somewhere the connection can be made somewhere. And so then one day we're like, we can connect Fusion Lifecycle to ERP, and I'm like, ah! you know, like, like tag you're it, you run yeah. with it. You yeah, yeah, heck, yeah, it's a relay. You're just passing that baton. Yeah. Here you go. So, so uh, you know, it's it's not easy, uh, but but you have to show these little wins. I think, you know, some some companies, and I don't know. I would be afraid. You know, I would be afraid to implement a software and say go across the board with it and every and say everybody's going to model in three months. Like yeah. I would be afraid because you and I both know that everybody's not meant to model. And and even with that, you have your different level of performances. You need to you need to establish what your basic level of competency should be for what you're trying to deliver, right? And you have to start there. You have to set yourself up for success, right? Uh, you you can't you just have to. It needs a little bit of thought, you know. And and then not that it can't be done, but you you can't if if it's red, you're not going to make it blue, right? It's, it's just, <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep, yep. It's setting up those. I mean, we've talked about this quite a bit, setting up, you know, pilot teams, right? Your pilot teams for adoptions. And then when you're setting up expectations and when you have these pilot teams that can really push it and test it. And then we can kind of, as as you were saying there, kind of start rolling it out in little pieces to everyone else. Because, again, you're not going to have, you know everyone that is awesome and into this software you have some people that can do things in cad better than they can with let's say revit right well right. we don't want to leave them out of this workflow either we want to capitalize on those strengths if they're good at detailing they've been doing this for 25 years and they know how this needs to go together cool i'm going to go ahead and let them keep working using their process right but maybe we improve on how they share that data how we translate that into our other processes that, that you know and it's just figuring out at what angle and and again capitalizing on those strengths and 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 setting those small goals to reach those wins right and mm -hmm. and once you once you get there you stay on that path it's awesome there, there's uh, in, inside of uh, project management and uh, both process improvement. So my graduate degree that I don't really use um, <laughs> has been all about process improvement, project management methodology, Six Sigma, all that fun stuff. And, and inside both of those is a subsection of um, 
change management. So really, it's all about how do you get change? How do you get people to adopt? Uh, how do you get people on board? How do you get buy-in from from these people? Uh, and you know, you got typical stereotypes. You got the old curmudgeon guy who's always done it this way, doesn't want to change. He's so efficient, you'll never be able to displace him. You've got uh, you know Joe Schmo over here who's um, who doesn't he's technology adverse and he doesn't really do with anything with his own platform today but he could if he got into the software do really well but he is so much like he is like maybe the best foreman you've ever run into like there's these different um, personas all along the way and tying those together and realizing their specialties is part of change management they're not all going to be modelers you're, you're right on that uh, that foreman he's makes his money being a foreman. He's a damn good foreman. There's no reason why he ever needs to get into Revit, even for QAQC purposes. No, but I think like- Give him a PE. Oh, I, I think another point to that, Joe, is like capitalizing on that though and figuring out, you know, where those strengths are with that person who's going to be a foreman and, oh, yeah, and yeah. they have that knowledge There's, where you have these young kids that are really strong in technology, but they're green. They don't know what the well, actual processes are and they can push, you know, these boundaries and in, in different technologies, I, you have to open those communication, you know, kind of areas. You have well, to open I, that I communication think, and just share everything, I, dude. I think I, we've I, seen that age is not the real issue here. Um, so uh, we, we've had a lot of conversations. There's a mindset, right? The, the young people are, are, yes, they're more adopt, able to adopt it. But once you put a smartphone in somebody's hands, it doesn't matter the age, Whatever the app is, they become proficient in it. And then it just grows from there because then they're getting to the desktop version of that app. They're singing with it. They're making it do shit that the other guys don't didn't even know it could do because they don't understand the process and the field as well as those guys. So now they're doing really, really well. So I don't think age is necessarily the big thing. Well, Sorry, bro. Yeah, this looks like you had no. something to say. Oh, go ahead. So, so you brought up the phone. I'm going to give you another aha moment, the phone. My, my, the end of that presentation, you know, that I told you about the BIM process. So I ended by going, you know, next year, I'm going to bring, you know, mobile devices to the field, you know, so that we can see the model and we can check drawings and, you know, and I go like this. And I had an engineer in front of, I don't know, a couple hundred people. And uh, the guy looks at my phone and he says, hey, wait a minute, that's our project. And I go, yeah, how'd you do that? Oh, I loaded it up to my phone. Can I, can I get that? And I go, uh, well, we don't really have a defined workflow, but yeah, we, you know, we can, you know, I had done this, hence my introduction to BIM 360. Uh, my, I gave the presentation for my boss on a Friday or a Thursday, Monday, he comes in, run, he runs to me, he goes, what did you do? I go, what do you mean? I thought to me, the presentation went well, everybody was asking about data and, and the reports and and uh, he says, I was just told to buy 10 iPads that you have a way of loading up models. That's how that's how technology got pushed into the field. And then the next the next great story is 75 year old guy on the field doing inspection with a Navisworks file on an iPad, marking it up. Like that's incredible. It is I love incredible. It. It is incredible. And you love hearing that because if, if someone with that experience can utilize the technology, that's when it really can start, you know, 
pushing new boundaries because you have that experience to give that feedback, right? That communication, yeah. that communication loop is what we need. That that feedback, feedback loop. loop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Feedback loop. Feedback loop. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you said something there with BIM 360. There's a lot of big announcements next year coming with BIM 360. Dave and I are under embargo. We can't say anything. But that said, is but there I, anything? Say you can say all you want, but I I can't I, say anything. Uh, and and you didn't hear it from me. That's the most important part. I didn't tell you anything. Nope. Uh, <laughs> but but with what's coming on and all these changes and and you know it's it's virtual this year. Uh, have you gone to the past? Let me ask you real quick. Have you gone to the past sessions in Vegas? Which sessions? AU, Autodesk University. Oh no, yeah, I've been going there for about ten years now. Oh um, nice, nice. Religiously, I I presented a couple times. Uh, did a couple labs. I participate. Yeah, I participate quite a bit there while I'm there. Um, nice. Great, great forum. I mean, it, to, to be honest with you, is where uh, I consider it part of my education. You know, I think everybody should look at it a little bit differently. You know, uh, it is Vegas, and you know, some people get mixed feelings about that. But uh, you don't know what you're going to see there that you're going to later utilize. You know, you there's people doing some incredible things and. And uh, this laser scanning thing that that I was telling you about, uh, that I'm pretty proud of the the work that I did with CEC. You know, we uh, we were going to present this year at SPAR laser scanning during uh, construction for Asbuilt, right? Well, I saw a presentation probably four years ago where the guy did a, a present a laser scan project, and he was comparing the two. You know, but he utilized a lot of different softwares, right? Uh, just laser scanning, you know, and hence that's that was my trigger. I'm like, this is what we need. You know, how, do you know how painful it is uh, in the energy industry for any type of as built, you know, underground piping? You don't know where it is. People say, yeah, it's there. It's 10 inches. It's really 12 inches. It's not there. They removed it. You know, you had three different people mark up a print or three different sets of print and, and you have two different philosophies and so I, I worked, I lived in Texas forever. I lived in the Barnett Shale region of Texas and I used to study uh, uh, gas, micro seismicity, all that sort of stuff. I went to the Texas Railroad Commission asking for data sets for uh, pipes because I wanted to know, um, uh, I, want, I wanted to know uh, large diameter pipes, where they were located so that we could see if that had an impact. Like, there was all these different things we wanted to, to measure and analyze against. And uh, the Texas Railroad Commission uh, came back to us and said, uh, we don't not have that information. We have some of the some data for the newest wells that have come along, but we don't have the data for even most of the wells that come along, much less pipeline data. So the fact that your guys are saying that, you know, you're telling me that you don't they didn't know where all the pipe is, if it's the right size or whatever. Um, it's not mind boggling. A whole state doesn't know where their, their pipes are. at. So, yeah, I mean, the, so, you, you know, even that that experience alone has led to you know, my change in philosophy with electrical and how, you know, believe it or not, uh, where I was at, I actually trained the electrical team to model and we were modeling conduit just because that's that's something that, that that's not done. It's not captured, you know. A anyway, we're, we're getting sidetracked a little bit there, but, um, you know, those experiences help you develop your, your workflow, add to the BIM process, right? Yep, yep. What I mean, you might need of ask of knowing what questions to ask or what's missing, what's not missing, what. Yeah. yeah. Well, 
Well, and I mean, uh, Joey and I get into this conversation quite a bit in terms of, you know, do we model more? Do we model less? What's the benefit here reaching the end goal, right? And and I mean, even with electrical, I, I think modeling conduit, in some ways it can seem like a tedious task, but in the same sense of coordination, you know, if this if this conduit is going to run through maybe where an HVAC line should be or power, whatever it is, knowing that information beforehand, before everybody gets out to site and starts installing it is valuable. I mean, that is valuable information. But that but that's exactly it, right? A lot of times uh, electrical teams are working off of 2D drawings after a mechanical uh, mechanical and piping are completed uh, with a model, right? So, so look at the enormous amount of stress that we, we get. We don't have too many electrical people to begin with. You know, uh, my experience is that most electrical teams are, are very uh, overworked, you know, and, and have these terrible deadlines. And, and usually they'll get blamed for projects being delayed, but that's because you know, we're, we're not, we changed the, the, the site plan 10 times, right? And and so so what are they supposed to start doing if they have to rework, yep. right? And, and then there's things missed, right? And yep. it gets put in construction. There is no other area more expensive than fixing a drawing problem than in construction. Yep, that's yeah. completely true. We uh, we had Josh Bone on from uh, oh, with yeah. Nika Electric uh, about two episodes ago. Um, still got to upload another episode soon. Um, sorry, that's just a reminder to myself. He was uh, a CMV instructor. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, he's he's a great guy. He, he, uh, he was he, he mentioned uh, on that episode that uh, the electrical workers, uh, there's still a, a vast shortage. So even uh, even with all the layoffs in COVID, everything that's happening in COVID, the electrical side seems to be still so busy it's crazy uh, so it's just interesting to hear like that that perspective of electrical and i know from experience uh, uh revit side of electrical those guys are just super hard to find not just installers but guys that are on the electrical side that know revit that's just that's that's another I uh, think, hurdle any I electrical think guy that knows 3d is you can't find yeah, yeah. <laughs> well and i think i think in general the mep kind of disciplines are the uh, they're the redheaded stepchild of the BIM industry, yeah. right? I think that's what it is. And everybody, a lot of times, will blame the MEP kind of disciplines for projects like, oh, the timeline, everything's going, it's, it's MEP, Whoa. it's mechanical, it's electrical, it's plumbing, it's somebody. But they're the ones that are affected the most by when these plans change, right? They yeah. Need they, yeah. they need to know where these utilities who, are connecting or when lines are Who has the most to lose in coordination? It's the exactly. mechanical contractor. I mean, it is. On. It so is. So when, when these plants are – well, I guess it depends if it's a data center or something otherwise. But if the, if the, if the plans change, uh, we are um, uh, still in coordination. So, so here's the deal, right? We are – you guys know this. I'm just preaching to the, the BIM people out there who probably Preach already know this as well. Preach. Uh, you got a 3D – <laughs> yeah, I think I got a thing to learn or two from you there. Uh, other way around, but but um, so if we've got this 3D model, right, and we're forcing our subcontractors to use 3D, which is great, right? Everybody uses 3D, and we preach BIM, and I think this is maybe why BIM is a four-letter word in most circles, is these subcontractors have to adopt BIM, but does BIM actually work for them? No, because they have their software that the model's in. They may or may not have had a hand in engineering. Maybe it wasn't concurrent engineering. They have this 3D model. Um, maybe it gets coordinated. 
post-coordination, it goes to a, a fabrication software because they weren't doing uh, fabrication inside of Revit because until recently, those capabilities weren't there and they're still not really there without some tweaks, right? So we can't auto-spool like we can out of Fabcat MEP or whatever tools that are out there, right? So if this model changes, I've already gone out to spooling how much time and money is wasted in this part or worse what if what if we're under a timeline tight timeline and we've already started uh fabrication and there's a change that comes in there, there's so much disconnect right. in the process how do those guys in fabrication get notified there are three different softwares that have to get touched before they get notified that there's been a change bim 360. well yeah that, that common data environments bim 360. Yeah. man cde common bam, data bam, environment bam let's go no, I, I think that's huge, though, dude. It really is, especially when we're looking for that level of accuracy, that level of detail in prefabrication, modular construction. People are really starting to get more into that yeah, now, especially with COVID times. I mean, because you have to have less people on site. If you can control this and in that – we've talked about this in that manufacturing environment, right, in that, that factory, whatever it is, you can assemble everything, test everything, pressure test everything, send it out to the site and know it's going to work. But you have to have – coordinated drawings you have to know that you're in the most accurate set of drawings okay. because if you're doing this prefabrication you're making this pump room and you know they're on version three and you're still on version one ah dude that's going to cost you so much more money to have to try and break that down to try and refabricate parts put it back on there and you're paying everybody to do this and you still have to get it delivered on time absolutely so I think there's a big push, obviously, I don't, I don't know if you guys took a look at the sessions this year uh, for DFMA, for prefab, uh, and it's all getting at uh, maybe not just the age of COVID, but just the age of connected workflows that we are getting to this, this space of, um, uh, you know, interconnected BIM, if you will, yep. connected BIM, which is, you know, we've been saying for forever, but we've gotten yeah. to this point of connected BIM, whether it's BIM 360 or whatnot. But having all these files in one repository, Autodesk is really capitalizing on this momentum for all their AU sessions. Last year was a similar, similar talk track. Now with the new announcements being made this year, these sessions are going to be, I think, pretty crucial. There's a lot of great stuff that's happening. And um, this whole uh, DFMA um, uh, modular construction prefabrication uh, momentum we've got going on, uh, it's, it's going to be pretty huge. For anyone who hasn't heard, by the way, AU is free this year. It is online. So for anyone listening, if you haven't signed up, it is free. Get online. Get into some of these sessions, right? Raise that kind of awareness that you have of what technologies are out there, what workflows, how you can adopt it, and how you can really push this this BIM technology to work for you, What you know, no matter the industry that you're in. Right. So I swore off AU this year. I said I was not going to go to Vegas this year after last year. Last year, <laughs> I had a flight back from Pittsburgh. My plane dropped about 5,000 feet in about half a second. Yeah. It was scary as heck. We started rocking back and forth like this for about 10 minutes. We were over Ohio, and I'm like praying for my life, leaving my wife. Text Everybody on the plane thought it was over. Um, we land on the ground. Pilots exited first. And nothing was ever said. Like, no no news came out of it. And I was like, I am never flying again. I will not go to Vegas. I'm done. <laughs> I've been, been going to AU for, for quite a number of years now. And uh, But this year, after after just being in my house for the past year, I, I want nothing more than the camaraderie and the yep. um, engagement that you get from an in-person event in Vegas. AU 
in person. For those of you guys, yes, if, if this is your first time joining AU, jump online. It's going to be a great, it's going to be a great get your toe wet, uh, learn some more stuff. Uh, but if you can make it to the next AU um, in person, uh, there's nothing like it. It is a great event. Lifelong relationships. Yep, true. yep, yep. That's true. And it's where we can meet people like Carlos here. We can share, you know, industry knowledge and build our, I, I guess, our uh, BIM libraries right in the mind there. BIM these, build these BIM processes and, and just share knowledge. And, you know, like what we do with this podcast. I, I love conferences for that, dude. I find other BIM geeks sitting around at the bar and we'll just start geeking out about different BIM. Pro like, what are you doing for BIM? Oh, yeah, I'm using this. I'm like, man, I never thought about it like that. That's awesome. Did you see this presentation? It was so, right? oh, yeah, it was there, man. It was yeah. A yeah, it was a great yeah. show. But, uh, do you realize how geeky we are when we get down there? We, we, we open up this app. <laughs> Right. And yeah, we're, sitting, you, we're sitting yeah. in the class and you're like, oh, my God, this guy just showed this workflow on how to do this. And all of a sudden you get 30 responses. I got I'm going to download that presentation, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, this there's nowhere else where that's acceptable. Right. <laughs> no, no. I love it, though. I really do, because, you know, people get so passionate. They get involved at these conferences and they they're like, oh, yes. If you, are you serious? I should have went to that session and they want to download it. They want to take in that information. It's great. Yeah. Last day, you um, David whooped my butt in a push up competition. <laughs> I did. Uh, we had a wild night. It was, it was just a fun like, I don't know, there, there's an energy there that can't be matched anywhere else. And I, I'm, I'm very happy to be part of these events. Um, and, uh, I think you're presenting this year, Dave, on, at least yes. on the construct day, um, yes. doing a bunch I, of stuff. So yeah, be fun. Presenting, dude, I actually, it's, it's kind of transitioning into what we're talking about. And I've honestly talked about it so many times over the past. Don't say bridging the gap. I've got, I've said it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, like connecting, um, information, you know, cause that's the biggest, uh, letter that sticks out across anything. And, and, you know, at some point I almost, I wanted to say, I want to do like a death of BIM, but I don't because, you know, what we Somebody's need... already done that. And it's one of the most watched yeah. BIM episodes out there. Or, well, uh, uh, I don't know. Is it really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, death well, of BIM or what's after BIM. I want to think exactly. I want to think of that transition, like that transitional mindset of not civil information modeling, building information modeling, but transition into construction, right? An overall I, like mindset for the construction pro, like process, the construction project as a whole. And everybody knowing that they pay, they play a, a you know, a, a portion or a key part of this job, right? And we know where this is going to go. We timeline it. We figure out what it's going to be, what the deliverables are going to be, the expectations, right? And leaving open those communication and feedback loops so we can continue to improve our processes. And and I think as we, uh, of course, bridge the gap, boom, there oh. it is. As we bridge the <laughs> gap, every episode, different. I do, dude, now I have. Um, when you're bridging the gap between these different softwares, right, and increasing this translation that they can make into each other, I think that, you know, it, it really pushes our industry forward, right? We, I love competition in this industry. I love, you know, the, the fact that we have so many different types of applications or softwares to do these different workflows well, and, and to give us these deliverables. I think we've actually got BIM rock stars nowadays. Like we've got people we we look up to in the BIM world that we put yeah. on a pedestal and we're like, oh, I want to look at this guy's presentation. Is there any presentation that you're you're specifically looking forward to, Carlos? You know, um, I, I think I'm going to be getting into uh, a little bit into some of the uh, iLogic stuff and some of the experience. You know, I've been, 
you know, this this bridging the gap thing. <laughs> it's, it's never been easier than now. You know, I mean, you, you think about we got the, this cloud solution, BIM 360. You have Fusion Lifecycle. I have experiences with this. That's why I refer to them. You know, I via API connected Vault to Fusion Lifecycle and via API, we connected some, you know, other third party softwares to BIM 360. We 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 run plant 3d off of it right and i'm pulling data via through forage to dashboard to report on i mean it's never been easier it's just never been easier you know these cloud solutions are are, are allowing us to not just think about it you know we we don't even have to be the experts right you, you need to understand what it's capable of doing and not doing and then you align yourself with a team that that you know you 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 assemble these individuals, and and you have the know-how, you have the, you know the needs, you have your maybe your developer or somebody who can script or uh, it doesn't take too much, right? As long as you start understanding what what the needs are, uh, and I think it's incredible times right now. Love that needs-driven approach. Yeah. So. Um, as we wrap up here, I wanted to chat with you a little bit now. So you've got a new company. You're you're working with your yourself. You've got the CGC. See your nice logo polo there. Um, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Tell us uh, a little bit about what you're doing these days and uh, how people can find you. You know, during COVID, uh, things change, and uh, I've been I've been doing a lot of exciting work the past couple of years, and it's been an evolution. So. I've been very fortunate that uh, a lot of the work that I've been doing the past couple of months have to do with like customizing uh, PNIDs and Plant 3D for reporting uh, and, and a lot of vault work. And now Inventor's starting to come into play too. Um, I still do some design work, but I, I see that most of the needs are for companies looking to customize to be able to report, to push data forward. Uh, I've had a couple of... Uh, um, so connecting uh, silos between different different softwares and systems, maybe in different departments, like give a report to somebody else. Correct. For example, uh, uh, this particular company wanted a better understanding. They did laser scanning, but wanted to understand uh, this workflow with Plant 3D and BIM 360 uh, because I had figured out how to pull data from there and they're looking. They already had some cloud solutions. And they just needed better understanding to connect that. Like they're just automatically pulling data to dashboard. And that's pretty incredible. Nobody touches it other than making sure you match, you know, table to table or something to that, that sense. Uh, they're pulling data to another to a, another cloud location where they remassage it and and create some reporting. And uh, so, so it's it's interesting that people are looking for guidance. Because I don't necessarily do that work. I know how to how to show people what they need to do and what type of individual you need. Uh, and then other than for, for that particular work, for the API type stuff. But as far as Plant 3D and PNI do, I do full customizations uh, for that and inventor setups, you know, standardizing. Companies still have issues standardizing, truly understanding standardization, you know, folder structure and uh, you know, you want to get to repeatable data, repeatable deliverables. Uh, only when things become repeatable in, in that manner can you start taking meaningful information, right? And and they're starting to report on everything. Everything is about reporting. So if if you call it A and I call it B, you can't report on it. You know, so, so 
the organization has to get on the same page and and I help them you know similar to some of the stuff we we discussed you know talking high level uh, making sure that it's what they want and, and understanding where they need to get to and then I'll, I'll do some customization for them and uh, help them get started well I found experience that that's a very important process in the adoption of software just um, implementation is is key and understanding what they do currently and where they want to go and especially with like making uh, an interface navigable right just understandable right. giving them a folder structure like they're they're almost they're they're currently kind of used to or something that they're used to right if we can give them that sense of familiarity they're more comfortable adopting that solution that software whatever it is you can start again showing them the benefits of, do of adopting this maybe a little bit of change here and there right just a little bit too much change scares everyone i mean i know it does so a little bit of change here and there but again kind of realizing and setting those expectations of what where we need to be and then kind of guiding everyone to get there it, it, that's huge and i mean it is a huge part of the process as well i mean it, it, anybody out there whether you're it you're a bim manager whatever it is you're an owner uh, of, of of a design company or construction company you have to think about you know what can we do to stay technologically forward right but also in the same sense of meeting our expectations and 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 getting to again where we need to be and I think that that is a huge thing, implement, implementing the software. If you can make it easy for your users to implement, right, understandable, and, and you can set those expectations, you can set yourself up for success in that sense. Right. And, and what I do is really I, I provide a lot of the behind-the-scenes work because at mm -hmm. the end of the day, and I love using this example, you want your designer to design. Right. You don't want them to worry about templates, about there's if you can pull, you know, a quarter of the information they need for a drawing automatically. That's a win. That's less time they have to do. You know, there, there is now things going on where, where parts can be created off of Excel sheets, you know, and uh, there's a lot of incredible stuff going on. It's just it's just a matter. Is it the right fit for you? You know, it, you, you have to do you have to do what's important for you, what's going to help you. Um, become a better designer, a better company, you know, with your deliverables. You know, like I said, you can't you can't want to go do everything because it's just impossible. And, yes. and the little baby steps go a long way. They know. do. You can't they bite do. off more than you can chew. Absolutely. Well, Carlos, you present um, a formidable skill set here where you are able to kind of bridge that gap. Yes, there uh, it is. Use it. Between, between the design team and and where the owners are and where they want to be so that's a great skill set i commend you on your efforts and uh, i look forward to seeing where you end up in the future and what you end up doing what 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 content you create again i love following you on linkedin so keep up the good work thank you guys i really appreciate it yeah, what you guys are doing is pretty incredible yourself I, it's a fun time oh it's a great time for bim guys yeah great time for bim and thank you again for joining us carlos thank you Thank you.